0: Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Well, good morning and happy new year. It's completely different now that it's a new year, isn't it? You know, as as we uh, as we continue this week and kind of part two from last week, um, looking at what what I believe God has has been revealing over the last over the last year and and where He has us and what He wants us to do moving forward, um, I would encourage you if you if you didn't if you didn't see last week if you weren't here last week, um, I would encourage you to make sure you watch or listen to last week's message because because it is pretty imperative to understand um, why we're going, the direction we're going, what we're doing, um, what we believe God has been saying to us through the last year. And so um, if you want to understand where Crosspoint is and where we're going, make sure you check out, if you didn't, last week's message. Um, and this is kind of part two of that. Um, a little something as we, as we get going this morning... Uh, A little reminder of of maybe humanity 101 as seen through the eyes of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 through 3. What we know from God's Word is that all history from Cain and Abel onward has demonstrated that destruction and stupidity, navel-gazing and bloodshed, the universality of, of foolishness, and really the thin line between civilization and anarchy is actually the norm. For a fallen, sinful world, that just is reality. and 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 really, this year just so happens to be a, a very colorful example of our commonly shared and biblically taught, kind of low, low uh, anthropology. Um, but as we've kind of we've kind of known this, and we've we've talked all about things that are hard this year and all that, as we begin this morning to look forward, I want to I frame it in, in maybe something that we haven't talked about or we haven't heard of, because when you get to a place of, of some hindsight, uh, it's amazing how that can change your perception of things. And So I want to just begin this morning real quickly with four reasons why 2020 was a great year for the church. I know that sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it, that why 2020 was such a great year for the church, but, but here's the thing. The first reason is this, that that for all time in the history of the church and, and biblical history, we call people to repentance. And one of the things in 2020 is that as a society, there was a call to repentance. Not the kind of biblical repentance that we know actually results in change and significant lasting change, but there was more talk about this idea of repentance, and, and, and as the church, we've known that repentance is the key because human beings, we're part of the problem of which we're not actually the solution because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the solution to those issues. And, and so that's been a great year for the church to be able to, to capitalize on that and talk about repentance. Uh, second thing is this, that, that we as the church have always taught that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Uh, We we really delude ourselves if we think that what plays out in our streets and on social media feeds is merely a human conflict. It is much bigger than that. And we're going to actually come back to this because I think this is one of the things that God has really revealed during the last year that the church needs to jump on and pursue moving forward. Um, here's the reality of, of the spiritual battle that we're in, because, because we, you know, we think in, in, the, in the terms of physical uh, battles that there's, you know, demilitarized zones where, where you're safe and, and you're going to be okay, and, and here's the reality of our spiritual battle, that there is no demilitarized zone. There is, everything is active battle, whether you're at home, whether you're at church. In this room, there's an active spiritual battle going on. And and we've always known that, and and we've we've been able to recognize that this year, and maybe we've struggled with recognizing that this year, and being able to see with with spiritual eyes what's actually happening rather than just kind of what we see with our senses. Third thing is this: that justice and love between people cannot heal our fractured society. We've talked a lot about justice this year, a lot about love, and, and all kinds of things like that. Should we work for love and and, and justice? Absolutely. Is it important? For sure. But only God's love displayed in his crucified and resurrected son, Jesus, can heal broken hearts, can restore shattered communities, and can give us the grace to even forgive our enemies. That's what we need. And with that, justice and love will manifest. Fourth thing of of why 2020 was a great year for the church is this, that we are not the church of Chicken Little, but we are the church of Jesus Christ. And, and, and there's, there's no reason to panic and say the sky is falling. And here's the thing that we need to, re, we need to remember, that, that because of what Jesus did, what he gave, what he's doing now, we, we need to remember that while what, what governments do and, and rise up and fall and, and give way to another government, every government since the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually in a lame duck session. Because Jesus is king and reigning and all of history is moving to a place where that will be realized. And so these are just temporary things on that pathway. And so really these are things that, that if you can see with an eternal perspective that God, that, that, that have been highlighted in 2020. And, and, and they're, the, they're all strengths inherent within the church of Jesus Christ. And so in 2021, we're gonna build on these things and on what God has revealed about the state of our faith and our hope and our love and our peace. And so last week as I began kind of talking a little bit about what I see and, and what I've realized and what, what, what I think God has been revealing about who we are and in, in, in our, in our faith and in kind of the fragility of our faith because of how we've lived and, and what we've really been blessed with. Um, it comes down to surrender and obedience, Uh, Peter in, in Mark chapter 10, he says this to Jesus. He says, See, we have left everything and followed you. Peter says, We've left everything. We've given up everything and we followed you, and we're we're coming after you. And unfortunately, at that point in, in Peter's development, he was probably looking more for like an attaboy or a look, look at all that we've given up. And so, you know, we so we can be part of, so you know, tr- make sure you 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 think of us in, in in giving us great prominent roles in your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, after he says, See, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus says, Truly, I say to you. There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. And, and right there, he gives the, the, the foundational reason that we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus for, for Jesus' sake alone in the gospel. In other words, true surrender and obedience to Jesus, following Jesus is a personal explicit preference For Jesus Christ Himself. It's a preference for Jesus and Jesus alone. It's it's not necessarily for what I'm gonna get from Jesus, although there's all kinds of things that I benefit from following Jesus. But it's it's for following Jesus alone. Uh, And and, and this is this is not a bad thing to say if, if someone is to say something to the effect of, I want to give myself to God so that I'll be delivered from my sins. Because I want to be made holy, which that's a great that's a great idea, but here's the thing, being delivered from sin and being made holy are results of being right with God, but really surrender obedience resulting from that kind of perspective to to be made something different isn't the nature of true Christianity. See, our motive, ultimately, as we get to know God better and better and we grow deeper in in His grace, in His love, in his his, his transformation of us our motive will not be for personal gain not to get something from god but simply for god himself and i think many of us have a vision of what that looks like but we lack the actual experience of it and so as we move forward our objective this year as we walk day by day step by step is this to develop into a people who understand and reflect the mission of jesus to the world anchored up and dependent on Jesus alone. And I want to unpack that statement so that we have kind of the same understanding because words can mean lots of different things to people. To develop a people who understand and reflect. In other words, understand and reflect expressly from the word of God void of any cultural or preferential additives. Here's what, what I talked about last week was that one of the things I've realized over the last year is, is that, that my faith is not solely in Christ. It is in Christ, and, and we, we, we have faith in Jesus, but it is also dependent on a lot of other things. And, and it, it oftentimes ebbs and flows with my circumstances and how I'm being treated or how I feel about things. And rather than having culture or nation or preferences that, that are part of that, having an understanding and reflect the mission of Jesus that is solely defined by God's word in Jesus Christ. And then, and then to say, uh, to, to understand and reflect the mission of Jesus to the world anchored up, scripture talks about how our anchor is heavenward in Jesus Christ. That we are anchored up in Jesus Christ, one anchor in Christ, pulling away from all other anchors. Last week, I talked a little bit about how what I've realized, what I think God has revealed to the church in our country is that we are anchored in Jesus as believers and we are anchored in our nation. And the problem is, is that those two anchors pull us apart as Jesus followers. And it's not that our nation, we are so blessed to be in this nation, and, we've been, and we have we have had so many opportunities because we were born and we grew up here in this nation. It is a good place. But the thing is, any nation in this world will compete with the kingdom of God. And so anchored up, being that we have one anchor in Christ and we pull back the anchors in whatever else we have our, our lives anchored to. Anchored up, and dependent on Jesus Christ. Dependent on means Jesus is the vehicle of our success, not anything else, not dependent on station or circumstances. We're fully dependent on Jesus, nothing else. We're not dependent on freedom. We're not dependent on, on, on anything else. We're not dependent on justice. We're not dependent on, we're not dependent on anything else but Jesus Christ. And that the mission, the mission of Jesus to the world is this. It's what we talked about last week. It's evangelism, discipleship, and community. And so what this means is that at the end of the year, should you choose to participate and walk this path, your understanding of Jesus' mission will result in a deeper and clearer reflection of Jesus in your life. That you will be markedly different from what you are now, not more like you, but as we just say, more like Jesus. And so I want to share four things that are going to characterize this year at Cross Point. That we have purpose said, hey, this is what we are going to be moving forward and this is what we're going to be developing. This is what we're going to be focusing on. Because this is what God, I believe, has revealed to us about his heart and where we are. And so the first couple things that I want to talk about are both, both have to do with our worldview. Worldview is really important because it's how you see and you interpret everything around you. And, and we all have a worldview. And we talk about as Christians that we have to have a biblical worldview. And I think the problem that has been identified is that we tend to have a biblical worldview, but really a biblical, political, national worldview. I have it and you do too to some degree. And, and we don't really see the world through the eyes of, of God. And so, the first thing that we want to really focus on moving forward this year is, is, is we want to recover the biblical teaching and perspective of the spiritual reality of creation. In, in the Bible, it talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, the spiritual and the physical that those things are both there and and really we experience the physical world with our five senses but what we have lacked developing is our sixth sense that spiritual sense of what's going on around us one of my favorite passages during this last election cycle that really gave me uh, focus and centered me is in Joshua chapter five. And, and as, as everybody was you know up in arms and, and, and everybody hated everyone else who didn't think exactly like them and, and everyone was, there was tension everywhere and, and this idea of, are you with me, or are you with them, and, and who are you for, and, and whose side are you on, and all of this stuff. And in Joshua 5, you have Joshua who, who is about to go, and they're in the, the land of Canaan. They had just crossed the Jordan River, and they're about to go against Jericho, the city, this fortified city that had way more, way, it was more likely if they were taking odds on who was going to win in a fight, it would be Jericho over the Israelites, So when Joshua, in in chapter 5, verse 13, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no. Which I love that answer. (laughs) No. That wasn't one of the options, was it? When I ask you, do you want vanilla or chocolate, don't say no answer the question. And, so, and so, so he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no. He says, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. It says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him saying, what does my Lord say to his servant? Here's the cool thing about this passage is that it, it, it's, this, it's this angel of the Lord showing up in, in the Old Testament. And it was actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament because typically a spiritual being, an angel, when when, when giving a message or, or confronting a human being, if that person would bow down and worship them, they would say, don't worship me, stand up. You see that in all the passages where angels show up. But when Jesus shows up at different times in the Old Testament, he doesn't reject worship because he's Jesus and he deserves worship. So Joshua worships him. So it's Jesus showing up and saying, no, 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 you don't understand, Joshua. It's not about Israel and Jericho, it's about God and what God wants. And frankly, God's not on anyone's side. There's elements of what you might believe on your side that, that correlate and work with what God wants, but God isn't for your side or the other side. God's on his side, and, and the, the reality is you have to make, take the step and go from your side to God's side. And that was this incredible reminder for me as as we were walking through the election that, you know, it's not about this side or that side, it's about God's side. And when it comes down to it, whose side am I on? In Ephesians 6, Paul Paul talks about the spiritual armor that we should put on ourselves. And and verse 12 is, is a verse that probably so many people know But Paul says this so clearly. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Paul's so clear about what the battle is, but really we find ourselves fighting each other so much and not recognizing the bigger picture behind the spiritual battle that's going on. Paul says very clearly that what we struggle with is, what be, is behind what we actually see physically. I believe this year that God's calling us to reshape our perspective so that we focus on the real rather than the perceived. And this doesn't mean stepping out of what's going on around us in the physical world, but but taking it on In a perspective that we see the spiritual realities. I love what what happens in in 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha, who's the prophet of Israel at that time, and they're surrounded by uh, an enemy army, and and his servant is panicking. And and his servant's kind of like, you know, there's we're gonna be destroyed. There's no way we can win. And, And Elisha prays for his servant, and he says, God, open up my servant's eyes so that he can see. What you are doing, and all of a sudden, it says that the servant's eyes were open, and he saw behind the army that was surrounding them an army of God surrounding the army that was surrounding them. And here's the thing about that passage: is that it didn't all of a sudden happen when that servant's eyes were open. That army was always there; he just didn't realize it. You see, even right now in this room, it's not just us. There's, there's a whole spiritual reality in this room this morning right now that we don't see with our physical eyes, but with our sixth spiritual sense, we need to be aware that there is. And guess what? In this room this morning, it's not just, it's not just those who are faithful and servants of God, but it is the enemy who's also present here this morning in our midst, and we have to have that perspective that recognizes a truly biblical worldview that takes into consideration the physical and the spiritual. The second thing that that has to do with worldview this year as we go forward is a biblical and personal realization of the whole family of God. Last week, I talked a little bit about, about the family of God, That it's not just us and people who look like us. And that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, there was a shift. And and that it wasn't Israel any longer that was God's vehicle for blessing in the world. It was his church and his global family. And in Revelation 7 that I read last week, you have John looking at the end, having this vision of the end of all things. And it says, and he 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 beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, and language, that they were all there worshiping, standing before the throne and the Lamb, worshiping God and the Lamb, and that there's all of these people, an, an uncountable number of people, who who are worshiping. And, and what's interesting about that passage? Is, is it goes on to say it says it says with a loud voice they were crying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures those are all spiritual beings that that passage is talking about so here's what's really cool about the picture in Revelation seven that I didn't mention last week is that this is a picture of God's entire family united and gathered. His heavenly and earthly family that he created is together all characterized by worshiping him and the Lamb. And so there's this reality that as we live today, we are part of a global family that really is more connected than the people you maybe see every day who don't know Christ. And, and so, so when it comes to this, this idea of, of the family of God, here's what's interesting today, right now, in the season we're living in, evangelism and conversion is happening at an exceptional rate in the global south on this planet. And then so there's there's just there's an explosion of salvation happening in the global south in this world. And last week I mentioned like what the what the average Christian will look like, Jesus follower in the in in the world today. And and, and here's what's interesting. There there is there, there is this reality that, that we've got people all over this world who, who call Jesus Lord that we are connected to and we've got to recognize that connection. So this year we're going to use our resources to connect with and learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. And that will give us a bigger picture of who God is an understanding of God's family and his purposes in the world today. And I think it will reflect the, the reflect Jesus' prayer for the church more accurately that we talked about last week in John 17 where Jesus said, I pray not only for these, but for those who will believe because of their testimony that they would be one as Father, you and I are one, that we would be one global family of God, that we would recognize that. One of the things that kind of hit me, hit me the other day, and, and and I don't really know, I'm not really processing this yet, And sometimes it's dangerous for me to just throw something out that I haven't thought about. But I figure if I'm struggling with it, you should struggle too. Um, I was thinking about this and, and thinking about how my worldview, that is biblical but also national and political, how that causes me to think and process things that go on around our world and our nation. And I was thinking about the fact that evangelism is exploding in the global south. And, and the big, one of the huge debates in our country nationally is that of immig- immigration. But here's the thing that I hadn't thought about, and I'm not even sure where to go with this yet. So maybe you can think through this too. But what is our responsibility as the family of God to the family of God coming over the border? What about those coming across the border regardless of how they come across the border that actually follow Jesus? What does the Bible say our responsibility to them is regardless of my very strong national feelings? I'm not sure if that's even been brought up. At least I've not seen it brought up. I think the Bible has something to say about that. You see, our worldview, I believe, that God has revealed isn't expressly biblical, and so that's what we're gonna work on, and we're gonna work on it by, by recognizing what's going on around us truly, and we're gonna work on that by, by understanding that God has a family, and his family extends far out beyond us. And then understanding that those things, I believe that the missional response to seeing the world accurately through God's eyes, we need to see things accurately and be on mission. And so the next couple things are the things that, that, that I believe that we need to work on as a church and take very seriously. And the first one, or the third one in my list is, is prioritizing evangelism. I don't know why it's so hard to, to witness and some of you, maybe a few of you are like, no, it's really easy. It's in. So great, the few weird ones in here and watching who God actually gave the gift of evangelism, I think he was like giving people the gift of evangelism, just a few to say, hey, this is gonna make everyone else feel terrible about themselves. <laughs> but, but, but it's just so hard. I don't know why it's so hard. We've been so blessed and God has given us so much. It's so hard often to just take that step and share Jesus with people, not in a way to show them that they're wrong or a way to prove that I'm right, but in a way that really genuinely invites them into the kingdom of God. Probably about four months ago, Sharon and I went up to Murphy's, honestly, because I wanted to eat inside a restaurant, um, and they were open. <laughs> So we went up to Murphy's and, and we went downtown Murphy's, and, and we ate at a restaurant and then afterwards we were kind of walking downtown and and we got some ice cream and I was standing there, and I looked across the street and right across the street from the ice cream shop downtown Murphy's is Newsome wines and I was like, "Ruin a perfectly good day because I'm not happy with Governor Newsom and what he's he's doing, and I mean And so I was standing there and I thought to myself, what if if he was there and I had the opportunity to talk to him? What would I say? And so a lot of things came into my mind about what I would communicate to the governor in that moment. And what's interesting is is the spirit started interacting with me, not invited, by the way, in that moment, but he started interacting with me. (laughs) And of all the things that I came up that I would communicate in that moment, this is where God kind of led the thoughts. And it was what you would say if you really were surrendered to Jesus and obedient and had his heart for the people around you. you. If you had the opportunity to say something to the governor, you would say, hey, I just want you to know that I, I would imagine being governor right now is really difficult. And it's probably cost you a lot. And so I just want you to know that, that I recognize that and, 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 and I appreciate that you are willing to, to lead during this time. And I want you to know that all the things happening, some of the things have been really hard that I've experienced. But I just want you to know that Jesus is using those things to cause me to reflect on the kind of person I am and who he wants me to be. So I just want you to know that and you have a role in that and I want to thank you and tell you that I'm praying for you. Without saying, even though I don't agree with you. (laughs) Because isn't that what we wanted to add on? But, but that's, what, that's what basically the Spirit was leading me in. It. And it was so frustrating, but, but I realized as I stood there, I realized that, that one, I wasn't recognizing what was really going on there because frankly, from what I see, I don't think the governor knows Jesus as his Savior. And there's a lot of spiritual things going on in the background and all around And frankly, he's a person who needs the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what I agree or don't agree with him. I'm not permitted to shut the door because I don't like where he stands on things. And and, and so really when it comes down to it, God prioritizes evangelism he did with us. And here's the reality. Governor Newsom deserves salvation just as much as I do, which really is saying that he doesn't because I don't either. But God graciously gives us that anyway. And I think, I think in, in, our, in, our, in our Christian culture, in our churches, I think apologetics has lost touch with evangelism. And apologetics is that, is that defending, that, that arguing of our faith that, that our faith is, is, is reliable. But I think apologetics has lost touch with evangelism, and it's come to be all about the argument, and in particular about winning the argument, rather than winning the hearts of people. It's not about just telling someone that they're wrong. It's about actually making a heart connection with them and inviting them to be part of your family. And I think there's an urgent need today to reunite apologetics and evangelism to make sure that our best arguments are about people and not just winning those arguments and to seek to do this in a manner that is true to the gospel. Because because sharing our faith in evangelism is part of the mission that Jesus calls us to. And, and so, really, what I want to focus on this year is rehumanizing. Because here's what our culture has done. Here's what our society has done. And this is one of the many problems with the way abortion is seen in our culture, in our country. Our culture has dehumanized the unborn to the point where it doesn't matter what you do and you can feel okay about whatever you do with the unborn. But before we jump on that and go militant, the church throughout history and even today has dehumanized people and groups of people who we don't like. It's the same thing that our culture has done with the unborn. The church does the same thing for its benefit. You see, I think restoring our vision or our sight and our heart, our feelings and our desire for people who haven't heard or who haven't yet accepted Christ, our sight and our, and our heart has to be restored towards those people. We have to stop dehumanizing people. And we see that. That has been like front and center this last year. The way people talk about others in their absence and even in their presence. The way people put people into categories, whether whether you've dehumanized the liberals or you've you've dehumanized the the right wing. Whether you've dehumanized, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing that our culture is doing and it's the thing that Jesus calls us not to do. And so what we are called to do and what we'll do this year as we look at people, because here's the thing, it is so easy to take a group of people and say, these people are all bad and and we need to punish them. What's hard is to rehumanize and say, hold on, stop for a second, because we actually really are on a level playing field. And so we will rehumanize and rekindle our love for the lost, no matter how their perspectives and their beliefs line up with ours. And and, and so, and you see, this is part of the mission that God has us on. We talked about this last week, evangelism, discipleship, and community. The final thing, the final thing that, that I wanna look at that will characterize this next year is discipleship. In Acts 14, we talked last week, and it talked about evangelism, discipleship, and community. And in verse 22, it specifically talked about discipleship, and it said those who had been evangelized and become Jesus followers, in verse 22, they were discipled. They were strengthening their souls, encouraging them, and they were helping them face tribulations. I believe that one of the problems with today's disciples is that we lack discernment. We have exchanged wisdom for information. We think the more information we have, that makes us better. It doesn't. It's how you use wisdom and discernment in the light of that information that actually brings us to a place of making us better. And so discernment, spiritual discernment, is learning to think God's thoughts after him, practically and spiritually. Having a sense of how things look in God's eyes and seeing them in some measure as uncovered and laid bare. This is what what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. See, what he's saying is that is that discernment is recognizing the truth regardless of the information. But also remember that biblical discernment is very different than judgmentalism. Here's here's some things that that are true of discernment. This is what discernment does for us. This is how discernment works. Number one, it's, it's a means of protecting and guarding us from being deceived spiritually, from conspiracies, from false teaching. And not only false teaching but also wrong emphasis. Because, you see, you don't have to be a false teacher to to wrongly emphasize something. A church that only focuses on discipleship and not evangelism is wrong teaching. It's not a heretical church. It's not full of false teachers. But they've they've wrongly emphasized discipleship over evangelism. Which, as I said last week, we've seen a lot of that in, in the church here in our country. It's focused on what we can and can't do in our rights rather than what about those who are lost. And it it helps keep us from bad use of scripture, bad exegesis, wrong interpretation of scripture. That's that's one of the things discernment does. Secondly, it's an instrument of healing when exercised with grace. See, part of discernment is seeing a person's spiritual needs and, and being able to help them not just proving them wrong. That's judgmentalism. It's seeing the spiritual state of someone and letting them know. <laughs> discernment actually takes a different step and it helps them from where they are to get to where Jesus wants them. A third thing is that it's a key to Christian freedom. It is so necessary for us to grow in discernment so that we know how to use our rights and at the same time glorify Jesus and grow God's kingdom. And finally, it's a catalyst to our spiritual development. We, we grow as we better handle the information that we have. So this year, as we, as we grow, as we, as we pursue discipleship this year, We'll be working, we'll be putting out resources for you called the Discipleship Pathway, which ideally, wherever you are in your life with Christ, you can be there and how? what next step do you take? What is the next thing that you need to do to become more like Jesus? And also, I'm committed this year to to developing a core of disciples who are well equipped who will then disciple others so that so that as we get through this year that that everyone in our church will be actively discipled either one-on-one or in a group of people and there's nothing wrong with this but oftentimes our bible studies and our groups and and our and our discipleship time turns into kind of like a, a supper club doesn't it <laughs> which isn't bad i love to eat and I'll drive an hour and a half to eat. <laughs> but, but there's a reality that we need, we need to understand what it is that God wants us to do in this very confusing time. So we need to grow disciples. See, the goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus himself, to think as he thought, to feel as he felt, to act as he acted, and to desire what he desired. And so what we're gonna be doing this year is learning how to think, how to feel, how to act, and how to desire like Jesus. Those four things that I just talked about are things that respond directly to what I talked about last week and and where I see our faith is fragile. And, And I think the way forward on how God wants to grow us. I believe that God is speaking clearly through his word and through his works and we are accountable to carry out the mission that Jesus has called us to. And here's where I am convictionally right now. A number of years ago, when I was college pastor, right at this time of year, it was over the new year, took a group of college students to Atlanta for the Passion Conference. and It was probably probably January 1st or 2nd of that year, that there was a group of us, mostly some of the leaders who came on the trip. We were sitting in the CNN tower, or CNN center, and there's a bunch of food uh, restaurants there, and we were eating Chick-fil-A at a table with people all around us in the food court area. And I don't remember who all was there, but my wife was there, and I think the acres were there, and a handful of other people, and we were sitting around a table and I was thinking about and I had been thinking as we were going through the Passion Conference, I was thinking about here, actually this room that we, we would have college group in and we'd have a band up here and I would share and behind that wall was the Modesto Inn, which is now Motel 6. And there was just a lot of stuff going on back then. Not that there's not stuff now, but there was even more. And... and and not necessarily thinking of having a conversation with my wife or anything and giving her a heads up or anything, I made a declaration as we were sitting there eating Chick-fil-A, and I said, if this year we go back and our college group doesn't impact the Modesto Inn behind the screen that holds the lyrics to the songs we worship Jesus with, then I need to not be the college pastor anymore. And somebody else who's actually going to get that done needs to come in and lead this group. And I think it was Bonnie Aikery who said, I think you're serious. (laughs) And I think Sherry was like, it would have been good to talk about this first. (laughs) But we came back and that year, our college group and, and even within our church, it spread and there was passion and focus and vision. And I remember we were so involved over there that they, the management and the seedy areas of the Modesto Inn were afraid of the college kids from the church next door. And I remember there was one point that that one of the officers from MPD had to come and they were coming to arrest a guy who had stolen a car. They also knew he had a wife and kids. He knew somebody in our church and he called and he said, hey, we're coming to do this. We know that the wife and the little kids, can you guys be ready to help? And that's where I am right now. Because I believe God in this last year has spoken loudly and clearly about what he wants us to be as his family, as his people. And as much as back then I was was sure of what I was called to do, I'm sure of that today. And I believe that this year we need to pursue these things and we need to be a people who reflect these things. And I believe that, that this next year, if we don't look different than we do now at the end of next year, if we don't see our rights differently, if if we don't see the loss differently, if our church doesn't grow from people being converted, from people accepting Jesus, then we need to have a serious conversation about why we exist and who leads. Because... That's what it's about. And, and, and the question that we have to answer as individuals today and moving forward is whose side are you on? It's like that moment that Joshua was standing in front of that vision of Jesus holding a sword, saying, Hey, are you with me? Or are you with them? And the question was, (laughs) no. Are you with me? Are we on God's side? Which means there's going to be some uncomfortable moments of talking about the things that we feel strongly about. That we might have to deprioritize to raise up the mission and the kingdom of God. I invite the worship team to come back up and we're going to worship together. But I believe that God has something for us moving forward that is going to be incredible if we're willing to be on His side. I believe that God wants to do a work in us, our church and in our community that we can't begin to comprehend until we see it question is, whose side are you on? Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I thank you that you are so clear and willing to do what it takes for us to become like Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as we've gone through this difficult but not really that bad of year. That you would restore our passion and our vision and our focus. That we would respond with humility and surrender and obedience. God, that, 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 that right here, right now, this would start and we would ask ourselves whose side we are on and we would stop putting people on sides but recognize that you cut through that and you are a third side that we need to get behind. God, that we would follow through, that we wouldn't go back to normal, that we would would passionately pursue you and your mission. No matter the cost. But knowing that there is a reward that is unfathomable, that we've already received and waits for us when we see you face to face. God, thank you.